0: Today's episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one website building platform with simple drag-and-drop tools to make the business building process easy. Get 10% off your first site with code PINEAPPLE.
1: Full Service Radio.
0: Hi there, you're listening to Pineapple Radio on full-service radio, broadcasting from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan in Washington, D.C. We're your hosts,
1: Atara and Ariel, and we're the co-founders of Pineapple Collaborative, which is a community of over 100,000 women across the country who love food. Just like you, I think.
0: Um, We're so excited to be here.
1: We have a really
0: cool show all about creativity, curiosity, especially when it comes to travel. Before we introduce our guest, who we are honored to have here, uh, we wanted to take some time to introduce our Squarespace segment, which, as you know, if you've been listening to our show, is all about small business advice or little nuggets that we collect from women in our community that inspire us. So today, what we're going to talk about is the idea of curiosity. So I was listening to a really fascinating podcast. Um, it, I think it was, it's called the TED Interview Podcast, and it's basically uh, people who speak on the TED stage get interviewed about their, their speech. And I listened to a really inspiring episode with Elizabeth Gilbert of Eat, Pray, Love uh, fame, but she was talking about her latest book, uh, The Big Magic. So I want to read to you this quote, and then we can talk a little bit about how we think about curiosity here at Pineapple. So here is Elizabeth Gilbert. Well, I mean, I rail a lot against passion because I feel like passion can be very exclusionary and very elitist, and it can leave a lot of people feeling like they don't belong in creative journeys and they don't belong in creative explorations. I'm much more interested in allowing people to follow curiosity, which is a far more gentle impulse that doesn't require that you sacrifice your entire life for something. It's more of a scavenger hunt where you're allowed to pick up these tiny little beautiful clues along the pathway, and it's more of a tap on the shoulder that asks you to turn your attention one inch to the left. Oh, that's a little bit mildly interesting. What is that? Okay, now I'm going to take that clue another inch and another inch, rather than this idea that the symphony is born whole because you sit down and you're struck by lightning, and then you start to create. Curiosity, I think, is a far more
1: friendly way to do creative than passion beautiful. And, you know, with our better business advice segment, you know, we've thought about it in the context of business, but also, you know, we hope that much of this um, feedback or inspiration that we share uh, can serve also for those of you who are pursuing creative side projects or are interested simply into tapping into your curiosity or creativity. And actually, Pineapple started, uh, this is Arielle speaking, as a side project of mine when I had full time jobs. And it was just, it started as a potluck in my house where I invited 30 women to bring a dish that reflected her style, identity, or values. And from there, we just kept hosting fun little gatherings across DC. And, you know, almost four years later, we've grown it into a business. But I would say, you know, inch by inch, you know, it, it grew from something that was curiosity, excitement about food and wanting to learn uh, to, you know, a business where we're excited and, you know, want to talk about all different elements in food.
0: Yeah. And I think inherent in curiosity is the idea that you maintain a level of interest and engagement in what you're exploring. And I think that's really the key in making sure that you stay inspired no matter what you're doing, whether it's like, you know, plugging away at a finance spreadsheet or trying to come up with uh, a really great event. Curiosity is really what is going to keep you engaged and motivated, inspired to continue. Um, So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing us the time, the platform to talk about things that inspire us and lead us to creativity. And with that, we want to talk about curiosity as it relates to this show. Today, we're talking all about travel, travel and food, travel and inspiration and how we stay curious while we travel.
1: So, today in the studio, we're delighted to have our guest, Lane Harlan, who came and joined us from Baltimore. Welcome.
0: Hi, Lane. Hello.
1: Uh, Thank you for having me. Um, And do you come to D.C. often? I
2: try to get down here at least once a month, so I think not so often, but it's, it's always a pleasure because there's fantastic restaurants and bars here, so I love to come down here and check out the scene and 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 just bridge the gap of it between thinking that baltimore is my my only universe <laughs> 30 minutes on the train and i'm in a whole another place it's really great
0: Totally. I love that. Well, fun fact this is Atara speaking. Um, I recently moved from DC to Baltimore, and it's been an absolute pleasure to be in the same community as Lane and patroning all of her establishments and restaurants. I totally agree that Baltimore and DC are so close together, they don't need to be separate worlds. Um, And what I've loved about Lane and kind of the universe she's created in Baltimore is that she is very inspired by all of her travels um, across the world and brings them to life back home in her community in Baltimore. She is the proprietor of Baltimore-based Beloved Joints, W.C. Harlan, which is a Prohibition era speakeasy, uh, Clavel, which is a Oaxacan style, Mezcaleria, and Taqueria and the newly opened, uh, natural wine and sake beer garden that in Sonnen, uh, which is delicious and beautiful and inspiring. And along with her impressive rise to culinary excellence in Baltimore, we pine for her undeniable sense of taste, all inspired by her travels. When you walk into Clavel, you see Oaxacan textiles, handmade Japanese pottery at Van and and stovetop copitas, um... Her playlists are amazing, and the music really makes you feel like you're in a, a particular place. Um, and her establishments really are all about the magic between authenticity
1: and style. Also, if you haven't already checked out her Pine 4 Pantry feature, uh, we got to go to her kitchen last summer and see what she was stocking. And in addition to like all these amazing um, foods, there was an impressive natural wine lineup. Uh, yes, there So was. check it out. And um, yeah, thank you again, Lane, for being here. Um, so we're going to kick it off um, with the first question. Before we dive into the travel realm, uh, can you tell us a little bit about your journey with food and you know, how did you grow up around food and what brought you to the industry? So I was, uh, I was born in the Philippines. My mother
2: um, is Filipino. My, my father is from Texas and he joined the Air Force when he was think 17 or 18 whenever you could then uh he was stationed in the philippines and so um air force brat as it were and from there we moved every two years uh so i've lived a lot of different places and um growing up it was um, it was a lot of home cooking from my mother a lot of filipino home cooking so sort of got really used to eating home-cooked meals um Growing up, uh, I started working at the age of 15 and I always had a real drive to want to work a lot. So I always had like two jobs at the same time as going to school and anywhere from Denny's to, you know, like busing at Denny's and moving to Baltimore, like Sakura Hibachi Grill and <laughs> um, I moved to Baltimore, and I worked at the Brass Elephant, which is a French restaurant, um, really old-fashioned, in this beautiful old building in Mount Vernon, and they hired me underage there. (laughs) I begged them. They said that, no, you can't be a server, but you can make butter in the basement. So uh, I did that. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, I sort of worked my way up from busser to food runner, worked at lots of different restaurants, small and also corporate. Um, I was just hustling, you know? I was really just trying to get myself through school, and um, and it, it just it, I it felt like it was very natural to um, serve other people.
0: So. What, what got you interested in food and hospitality? Did you always know that that's what you wanted to pursue as a career?
2: Yeah, so uh, not food, but hospitality. I mean, growing up, I always wanted to host parties and things. Um, I ended up uh, moving to France when I was in college, and I... I studied abroad I wasn't very good at school So I ended up Sort of dropping out uh, I did a lot of Just wandering around um, A lot of cafe sitting And um, and tasting things For the first time That uh, really floored me And uh, I was just in a place Of of um, stillness You know I had a lot of free time So I was really Exploring the tastes Of French food And that was big for me So I'd never had Anything like that before Like Nothing just truly so simple and made just so impeccably. Um, so, so that sort of like started making me think more about uh, things that I wish we had at home. You know, um, I moved back to Baltimore and then I just couldn't stop thinking about France. So I ended up getting a teaching job there and moving for another year and just being able to get freshly baked baguettes that smash flat in your hand and aren't super dense and being able to uh, access really simple wine uh, that was made in the town and served without labels in crafts and jugs—that's what I craved at home. And so when I, I'm, you know, the money ran out, and I had to come back to Baltimore, and and I, I dropped out of UMBC, and I was still just working in restaurants and figuring it out. I just knew that. I so badly wanted to stay in Baltimore, but I wanted something better and I needed to make it myself. So that's that's how we made W.C. Harlan.
1: So can you tell us about the inspiration behind each of your places? And yeah, sure. And the timeline, too. Yeah.
2: So I was uh, when I started when I came back to Baltimore, I think I was 24, 23 or 24 and I was looking to do something. I didn't think it would be a bar, but I knew that it would have drinks, right? So originally I was thinking to open an art gallery because I've always had a lot of really talented artist friends, and I wanted, I've always wanted to promote my friends in some way. Um, so I started looking, and, and uh, then my partner and I found this little bar that had been there since the 30s. It had been a lot, lot of different bars over the years, but um, it was being sold as a house because the last owner kind of ran it into the ground it had been a dive bar for a really long time so it was closed for over a year and we just looked at it and we said this can't be a house it has an art deco mahogany bar in it this is crazy um so with very little money zero credit <laughs> we just cobbled together a bunch of friends and we renovated it ourselves wow. um so by the time we so i was 25 when we started doing that and when we opened the doors i think i had just turned 26 because it was Um, 2013 was January of 2013 so WC Harlan wasn't the the theme wasn't a speakeasy or anything we just never wanted to advertise and we didn't put a sign on the door Mm -hmm. people couldn't understand why the outside was so gritty and there was no sign but you go inside and you you're in a beautiful bar um, that has a lot of history uh, and I think for a lot of people it felt very speakeasy like but for for us it was just a simple bar we have two beers on draft, light and dark. We have red wine, white wine. Mm-hmm. We have a cocktail du jour. And at the time, uh, we, you know, we were selling soup. <laughs> so <laughs> we, were, uh, we were like on a rotating schedule of different friends making soup. and <laughs> was like selling soup in the bar. It was very, very simple. And that's that's what we craved. Simplicity um, and, and no TVs and candlelight.
1: Yeah. Preserving also beautiful bar place that existed in Baltimore. I Absolutely. You really feel that when you walk into the space is like I am in another era. And
2: it's yeah. funny because it was it, it at the time, you know, we just we cobbled together what we could find between thrift shops and what we had in our house and I just happened I had worked at an auction house so I had a lot of antique mirrors and things. I just really liked that style at the time. And so we stripped everything out of our apartment and put it all on the walls and it's still there. Antique uh, paintings and mirrors. Everything just came out of our one bedroom studio. Yeah.
0: Um, and six years of wax from candles. Six years of wax. Which <laughs> just b- like dripping it's wax. It's a
2: good smell. It Actually is. I you know, I didn't realize that wax had such a smell. But yeah, it's a very particular smell when you walk into the bar. Awesome. Um, so
0: take us to Clavel and Baden Sanin. Sure.
2: So Clavel So I had had bartended at W.C. Harlan. Uh, You know, it was like, it was pretty brutal. Almost felt, must have been six months or something. And, you know, I was sleeping there because it just didn't make sense to go home and not be able to park at night. And um, it was intense. And I needed a break. And sort of looking at plane tickets, I had always been interested in Oaxaca. Seemed like this, like, fertile valley out there somewhere. And... um, my partner and I got tickets, and we went, and uh, it just floored me. It absolutely floored me um, to see mezcal, the way they treated it, showing the history and the fact that it's an agricultural product and looking at different species, and the nerd in me just kind of it, like, went crazy. I remember I brought back some, some suitcase mezcal, and I put it in this uh, green clay, sort of green-glazed clay, um, with these little copitas that I brought back and I put on the bar and I labeled it. It was a mother quiche and I was just giving it away for free, telling everyone about it and everyone was very like, what the hell is happening? This is crazy. (laughs) And I just gave it away for free all week and I never, you know, after that I just planned my next trip. I had to go back and I had to go back and I had to go back um, to learn more. Eh. There wasn't a lot of literature at the time on Mezcal. Um, So it was really a thing where you really needed to get out there and go to a palenque. So... um, Sorry, I'm drawing this out. But long story short, uh, you know, I I wanted to open a Mezcaleria. just so happens that my sister uh, married into a Mexican family. And my sister's uh, partner's brother is Carlos Raba, who is the chef and my partner at Clavel. Mm. He is from Sinaloa, um, which is a a northwestern state. Uh, It's really a lot of seafood, a lot of ceviche. And uh, he was such a good cook at home and he hadn't been working in a restaurant or he wasn't a chef or anything and I said come on let's do this like you do the food I'll do the bar and so we partnered so it's it's actually a family-run business flew his aunt and his mother down when we opened and they made sure everything was perfect and completely Sinaloan so although it does look sort of Oaxacan it's the cuisine is Sinaloan mm. Mm, makes sense and then and Sanan So we always wanted to make a beer garden in Baltimore because Baltimore didn't have one and it just seemed silly that there wasn't a big outdoor drinking space. Uh, We had tried to look for outdoor spaces before Clavel and we just couldn't find any. So Clavel happened first, really. But we had always had this idea in our minds and we wanted to open a beer garden not in the traditional German sense of a beer garden. We wanted to just have an outdoor courtyard where people could drink all delicious things, kombucha, natural wine, Uh, cider, crazy beers, all these (laughs) things we wanted. Um, And so a couple years after we opened Clavel, we found the right property and uh, we started working on it. So we worked on it for over a year and a half, renovating it. And we opened in November of last year. So we've been open three months now. Fauden Sonnen is uh, the upstairs. It's a, an old carriage house that, uh, that encompasses an outdoor courtyard. The upstairs is a small natural wine and sake bar, and the downstairs in the tap room, we pour everything. We have sake on draft from Brooklyn, Kura, uh, namazakes, we have uh, wild ciders, and we have natural wines. Um, I mean, it's, it's not just beer down there.
1: So it's inspired, would you say, by your trips to France and Japan, or it's more just kind of an amalgamation of what you craved and felt like Baltimore needed?
2: Certainly, there's a lot of design inspiration uh, that came from traveling to Copenhagen, traveling to Japan. Uh, the reason I went to Japan was to learn about sake. Mm-hmm. So that was another thing where I'm kind of a, I guess, an autodidact. You could say it's really difficult for me to just pick up a book and learn something. Uh, I need to go and see it and touch and taste it. Very, very sensual person. So um, so I, I w- took a class. Um, About sake, And then it took me to a higher level class and ended up in Japan. And that was why I wanted to be able to um, understand it more. Um, So, yeah, the sake program, it does come from my interest in sake and and then wanting to go out and to see what it was all about and finding that um, sake is a very beautiful thing. It's very, very different than natural wine. But they're both up in the wine bar because I love them both. And I really wanted to um, just give something else to Baltimore. So, I mean, yes, the, the bars are inspired by travels, but also feeling the necessity of providing a place for people that live in Baltimore.
1: Mm-hmm. So, given that you learn so much from being somewhere and tasting and feeling and seeing, um, let's dig into how you think about your trips and, and travel. Um, you know, Gatara and I are... Also, endlessly inspired by trips that we take, whether it's you know to our friend's farm an hour and a half from DC or somewhere across the globe, and <clears throat> it's an important part of our our business. And I think why we love food so much is because it's a great way to connect with people across the world. Um, it's a bit of a cliche, but it it is ring it does ring true for us. So I guess can you tell us a little bit about how you think about planning your trips I love planning trips
2: (laughs) I may have been a travel agent in a former lifetime (laughs) Uh, I just I I really uh, I really love to just put a city in Google Maps and look at the maps and wander around the maps and and imagine that if I'm traveling to the city and, for example, Copenhagen, right? You know, I, I decided that I found a cheap plane ticket to Copenhagen. It's 500 bucks on Wow Air or less, right? I'm going to do this. I've got a weekend. Where do I absolutely have to go? I have to go to a mosque, right? So I'm like, I have to go to this restaurant. Can I just walk in or do I need a reservation? If I need a reservation, I plan it in advance. And then that's kind of the main event. From there, I look at the map and I look at... Where can I walk every day? What markets can I hit? What museums can I go to? What small design boutiques can I go to 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 shop or to just a window shop? Um, Kind of like really walking focused when I travel because I want to just see things that I didn't plan. I'm kind of a, a planner um, and I, I need to take myself out of that sometimes when I'm traveling um, and to not be so strict about a schedule, but to kind of have a loose agenda and know where things are in neighborhoods and, and if I might pass by, like then it's a bonus. And if I might discover something that I didn't plan, that's the best thing. Mm. So I really try to take myself out of planning work mode, have a really loose agenda, but understand the maps um and and you know everyone carries an iphone on them so if you get thrown off you can just look at find the metro stop or see that you're only 0.8 miles away from that cafe and do it can i get should i get coffee here well that one cafe that i saw i wanted to see the interior design of that place or something about the place i'm just going to walk the 0.8 miles to go there so things like that really
0: And what are the, let's say, you know, four top things that you try to do when you're in a new city if you want to learn about the food and drink culture there?
2: So top things, the market. Um, I think markets are a really good place to see uh, just everyday people who are, are bringing things that are from the land, from that place, and they're selling them themselves. It's not a thing that's put on a platter for tourists. It's not this, this like, um, sort of, uh, it's not catered to you. Right. So I want to see what just everyday people are eating, what everyday people are drinking and the flowers they are smelling. I want to see what's there. Markets are the number one. Um, and then I'm, I'm really interested in drinking culture. So of course I'm going to look up, you know, if, if you're in Japan, then, you know, I want to go to the tiny sake bar with the, 35-year-old master who's just there every single day and he's he's serving up really beautiful, fresh sake. I want to go there. Um, so yeah, so it'd be like markets and then bars for me and then, uh, you know, museums or just galleries um, or design shops, like, really, really love... Like, you see now and now in large cities, people are um, taking from the sort of selling wares from local artists and uh, I really appreciate when people bring those collections and, and so you can get a glimpse into what the local art scene is like. If you aren't able to make it to the right gallery opening and it doesn't line up with your dates, if you can go to a little design shop or a little um, locally owned boutique that has like a local artist section, I, I always really want to see that.
0: And what would you say to someone who is, let's say, traveling to like Marrakech or Oaxaca and wants to get like cheap things? Like wh- what would you say when, you know, you're trying to encourage people to like, invest in the local community and really buy like quality things over cheapness. Yeah. Uh,
2: I don't. Wow. That's, that's really tricky. Um, I don't really have recommendations for someone traveling to another country to, to find quote um, like cheap things. I mean, it's, it, you just have to get out and explore. And um, I, I don't know. That's hard. Cause like when I go to Oaxaca, for example, Sometimes I'm able to go to people's homes because of, of friends and connections that I've made there, and buy pottery from them from their the shelf in their house, and I'm I'm not bargaining mm-hmm. um, for that because I mean I, I come from the United States of America and 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 the prices are so much lower and I I just there, no part of me wants to haggle down somebody who's let me into their home and let me shop their pottery shelf. I, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not good at, I'm not a good haggler. I'm not good at that. Yeah. Um, so that's, yeah, that's difficult for me. I, I don't really have any suggestions
1: there. Well, thinking yeah. about like, how you craft your you know, itinerary, like where do you find these places? Are you, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, you said you Google search, you're asking probably friends maybe, um, but I think to Atara's point of like, you know, if you do go to a place and you do want to invest in some quality item from that place, like how would you find that? Like where to buy that?
2: Yeah. Uh, I mean, you just ask people that live there. You know, it's it, sure you could look things up on the internet, but I usually want to go to a bar or something. I'll end up talking to the bartender, maybe the owner. Um and then you just ask questions. I ask cab drivers questions, bartenders, servers. I want to know where they go after work and that's kind of how you figure out where's the local bar. You know, that's not just like the most fancy cocktail bar that's the most beautiful it's like no where do you drink after work because that's where i want to drink so it's the same you know with um like ceramics or or blankets or you know things like that you probably just need to ask people that live there they Mm -hmm. will probably tell you oh oh donia's over there knock on her door on on monday morning she'll let you in and she'll show you her kamal and she sells this this and this like that's kind of how you do it
1: Mm -hmm. well And before you plan your trip, you are like, how are you researching things?
2: The internet and asking friends that I know go there more than I do. If 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 I have friends that do, Mm -hmm. so luckily because of because of the the community that I'm in with um, my restaurants and so many times traveling to the same places over and over, uh, your community grows when you dedicate yourself to something. You meet more people and. If you're constantly curious and asking questions and absorbing, then you're going to have better insight when you go to that place.
0: Totally. Well, and I think you alluded to this when you were talking about kind of talking to your bartender and being in the bar, but what is it about beverage culture that gets you excited? Why has that been such a source of inspiration for you?
2: I think that it's just something else that makes you feel good. Uh, And it's so often an afterthought in places it's like I go into places and I look around and I see all of these things that are afterthoughts, but then they're pushing this one thing really hard. And for me, I just felt like the, like the beverage industry was always the underdog, you know? Mm. So I was really drawn to it. There's so much creativity in it. There's so much history, so much to, to learn and to carve out. And I was drawn to that.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Um, So you were touching on this a little bit before, but you're visiting, when you're traveling, you're visiting both cities as well as like rural areas. And whether that's visiting palenques Mm -hmm. or wineries um, or beaches, how do you think about kind of that mix of going to other cities and then, you know, countrysides? So I really, I prefer the small places,
2: really. Uh, I prefer rural spaces. Um, More and more... The big cities are becoming more and more like all the big cities, unfortunately. And I feel like sometimes I travel and I get really disappointed and always wish I spent more time in small places. It's more challenging to go out into the countryside. It's more challenging to take yourself to find where the smoke is rising and to go and talk to someone you've never met about the mezcal that they're making. But it's worth it. Uh, It's worth it because it's not handed to you on a silver platter. You may discover something. And that's what i think gets lost in travel these days it can get very lost because because of the internet because we are such resourceful human beings um but we sort of forget that there there's like real wandering real discovery Mm. um and yeah if you can rent a car or get off on the wrong train stop and know that you know you're gonna make it work you're gonna be okay i think that that's that's um I prefer that route over just having all the securities of of an agenda and 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 a map and everything like that
0: yeah there's certainly a lot of romance and adventure and you know being open to experiences and staying curious while you travel
2: yeah i mean it's difficult too like when i went to japan i couldn't look up everything i it's really hard the language barrier i mean it's it's huge so Sometimes you just have to kind of walk the streets all day. And then when you see the room where everyone's slurping noodles and it's like the windows are just totally like there's condensation everywhere. You have to just walk in, point at what everyone's eating and eat it.
1: (laughs) Very cool. I think uh, that's a good reminder, though, with travel is that, you know, certainly going where your friends have gone you know being inspired by a place you see on Instagram or referencing a city guide or a travel guide like that's all great but what about you know picking like a beautiful spot that maybe you've heard of and showing up and getting renting a car like you said and renting if- a
2: car or just walking all day walking from neighborhood to neighborhood you will find the best stuff yeah you'll see the most beautiful things if you just walk off the path
0: yeah yeah creating space for that all right we have one more question and then we're going to take a quick break before we continue this is a you know, admittedly a, a hard question to answer, but we think it's really important. Um, we've talked a lot here at Pineapple about the fine line between appropriation and appreciation around food, and we think it's a really interesting conversation, especially when we talk about travel. Um, Ariel and I both had the opportunity of coming to Clavel for a beautiful Pueblan dinner, and it was really such a beautiful homage to that region of Mexico, and we saw the links that your, you and your staff took to really draw respect and interest to a particular culture. Um, So can you tell us about how you approach this very tricky idea of honoring and respecting a cuisine? Sure.
2: So, I mean, if you want to talk about, like, authenticity, you know, that's, that's an origin story. And I think that if you are paying homage, truly, to a culture, you are tasked with educating not only your staff but educating the general public and that's been something that I've put at the forefront um, not just with mezcal but with Mexican cuisine and uh, when we did that dinner Mujeres para Puebla it was a fundraiser for Tochan Nuestra Casa and uh, it was a a fundraiser that we did Um, we hosted this uh, multiple course dinner that was prepared and served by all women the head, chef, um, head chefs were actually Rosie, who um, is from Puebla, and she has a taqueria called Cochina Luchadores in Baltimore. Really fantastic place. Um, and it was based around her family recipes. And then with that, we had other chefs um, contribute to the dinner, like Helena Del Pesco, um, who's uh, traveled exclusively in Mexico, and um, Gingy from Ginji's Chocolate also who's opening a really, you have to talk to Ginji by the yes, way, she's amazing. Yes. Um, I'm going to save it for Ginji. I'm not going to say what she's opening, <laughs> but yes, also she travels extensively Mexico and um, it's about honoring the traditions. So, um, so yeah, I think that educating and honoring.
0: Yeah. And your establishments certainly do that. And it's, it's no small feat. Um, We're going to take a quick break. We're here with Lane Harlan from Baltimore of W.C. Harlan, Clavel, and Vadinsanen, and we'll be right back.
1: Welcome back to Pineapple Radio. Uh, We're your hosts, Arielle and Atara, and we're here with Lane Harlan, uh, restaurateur extraordinaire and um, traveler who we pine for. And so to cap off this episode, we're going to do a little spitfire series of questions uh, focused on Lane's favorite uh, places and things to do while traveling.
0: You can almost look at it as a live city guide. We've never done it before, but we think it'll be pretty cool. All
1: right. So the first question is uh, the place, places you want to travel to next.
2: Currently, I am pining for Tunisia. (laughs) I want to travel there so bad. And then a few islands just off the coast and heading towards the south of Italy. I think that that would be a really nice trip. And so actually, I'm a former employee who is now working at Claro in New York. His cousin lives in Tunisia, and I met them at the wedding. So I've been emailing with her and trying to get some insider tips. And from those tips, I'll sort of lay out the bones of what I think will be a really nice trip. I don't know when I'm going to do this. I've been looking at weather patterns. I thought August would be good, but apparently it's extremely hot in Tunisia. So I'm going to try to figure it out. But I think that's what, something I really want to dig into.
0: Cool. Very cool. All right, your favorite city to travel to often?
2: Hmm. Ooh. Probably, hmm. <laughs> That's so hard. <laughs> often. Uh. I guess it's not really a city, but Oaxaca. I mean, I go there more than anywhere.
0: You take your staff there?
2: Yeah, I take them annually on a big trip, and then we always do... Um, smaller trips with just one or two of uh, the bartenders and we go to different places in Mexico cool. for research of course.
1: All right uh, favorite restaurant in Oaxaca?
2: In Oaxaca it's not a restaurant it's a food truck it's called Lechoncito de Oro and it's only open at night and they only serve one thing—it's carnitas with salsa verde and chicharrones on top—and you mm. can get it in many different combos. Whether you want it on a tostada, quesadilla, or a torta, but it is by far my favorite thing to eat there. It's—it's it's actually gold.
0: <laughs> Amazing. Um, and your favorite bar or place to drink in Oaxaca?
2: El Destilado, hands down. Um, El Destilado is owned by Jason Cox, who's fantastic person he's actually an american who moved down there quite young extremely clever he is uh he brings in um destilados de agave uh, and he just has a beautiful selection the tasting menu there is insane the staff is incredibly hospitable it's a wonderful wonderful place to drink it's actually the only place in oaxaca that i've had um, I've been able to drink a natural wine. They have Beachy there, mm-hmm. um, so that was that's even a, like a huge bonus. But that place, I mean, just go there and drink mezcal. It's a beautiful, lovely, lovely spot.
1: And Beachy is a Mexican natural wine from the Valle de Guadalupe. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Uh, favorite market in Oaxaca.
2: Tlacolula. It's the Sunday market, so Sundays only. Um, it is the most cinematic market I've ever been to. I mean, just li- like. Buckle up when you go to that market <laughs> <laughs> because so much is happening. The colors will blow your mind. Um, I just, I it's it's crazy because I always want to take a million photos to capture it all. But it's like so much is happening. You can you can really just not, just have your have your camera in your hand, but look up. <laughs> so you might have a lot of blurry photos, but it's just it's it, the smells are, are amazing. It's beautiful. It's packed with uh, people from all the different villages, and it's 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 something. That, I mean cinematic is the way to describe it really
0: i definitely enjoyed going there when i was there as (laughs) well um okay stepping outside of oaxaca for a minute uh your favorite dish from one of your restaurants clavel or vadensanen inspired by a global dish
2: Ah, yes so at vadensanen we have tofu miso zuke Uh, i tasted that for the first time in ishikawa in a very small sake bar and uh just you know about the size of a quarter this little piece of tofu miso zuke what it is is it's tofu that's pressed and then it's cured in miso mm-hmm. so over time yeah. it, through the enzymatic processes it starts to break down starts to become um the umami starts to explode and that like sort of like bland piece of tofu turns into almost like a cheese-like mm. umami bomb and so um Yeah, I I tasted that, and I said, game over. This is the best thing I've ever had paired with sake. So when I got back, uh, my friends Isaiah Isaiah and Sarah from White Rose Miso, they're making miso, um, really beautiful. And uh, my friend Helena, who's a chef, she um, took the miso, and she followed a recipe and uh, made this really gorgeous uh, three-month cured tofu miso zuke in several of the different miso um, offerings that they had at the time and uh yeah so that was directly inspired from just one bite in Ishikawa um yeah
1: all right one last question your favorite beverage from one of your bars inspired by travel Mm. favorite beverage um well I mean
2: (laughs) so Fadansanen right so it's not it's just a glass of wine right so we have Frank Cornelison's wine, and I had that in a um, small wine bar in Copenhagen, and I tasted it, and I said, "Whoa, well, this tastes kind of like, like garbage." And like, I <laughs> like, I freaking love it. Like, this is just, this is what I want. This is like, this is what I want. This is making my gut happy. It's what I want. Um, and so, so yeah, I'm just really thrilled. And I actually went out and I visited him after I tasted it because I was really freaked out about it. I couldn't. You know, it was kind of like a good forway, foray into um, uh, sort of very natural wine. Um, and so that memory and that taste, you know, I'm, I worked really hard to be able to have that in Baltimore because it's highly allocated. Um, but also tapache, the tapache we make at Clavel.
0: Oh, it's so good.
2: Thank you. Um, I feel like that is the closest that we get to pulque. And I say that only because... Um, it is wild fermented, and it's it's we don't dose it with a bunch of sugar. It's not dead. It's actually really active. It does give you a gut high like pulque does, mm-hmm. and so that for me is really reminiscent of of drinking really fresh pulque. Right? Can
0: mm-hmm. you tell our audience what tapache is?
2: Yeah. So tapache is um, it's a fermented pineapple wine. Essentially, you um, you crush pineapples and uh, add a little piloncillo or we use Nella sugar, um, and uh, Yeah, you just let it open-air ferment, and it turns into sort of almost a cider wine made from pineapples.
1: Yum. It's delicious. Well... We all got to come up to visit you in Baltimore. Please do. Maybe hop on your team trip to Oaxaca. Yeah. Well, all the <laughs> we'll businesses the are
2: all on the same street. So they're all walking distance from each other. So if you want to, if you D.C. folks want to come do the the Trinity, you can do it. Maybe one day I'll get a golf cart and I'll drive everybody between the three. Yes. Um, but until then, yeah, just walk.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Perfect. And quickly uh, to find you um, on Instagram. Uh, or anywhere else where sure. where can our audience connect sure my personal
2: one is um, Lane some dove haha um, and uh, Clavel is bar underscore clavel WC Harlan's just WC Harlan and fadden Sonnen is fadden dot Sonnen.
1: beautiful all right well thank you again for joining us in the studio and we'll see you next time thank you so much